0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon podcast from Trinity Church Denver. To find out more about Trinity, visit our website, trinitychurchdenver.org.
1: And would you join me in reading our New Testament reading for today, 1 Corinthians 9:24 through 27? When I'm done reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord. Please repeat by saying, "Thanks be to God." 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is the word of the Lord. And now turn with me to Proverbs 29. And we'll be reading verses 16 through 27. Proverbs 29, 16 through 27. When the wicked increase, transgression increases. But the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands, he will not respond. Do you see a man who is hasty? In his words, there is no hope for a fool than for him. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and the one given to anger causes much transgression. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse, but discloses nothing. The fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, but the one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Let's pray. God, we now enter a time of bringing your word before our eyes, and I pray that your word would stand above all else. That it would be something that's honored uh, that we would love to listen to your words. We'd love to, um, we would delight in receiving them as formative for our own lives, formative down to what time we wake up in the morning, to how we spend our days, to how we go to sleep. Lord, help us Would your spirit guide this sermon this morning. In your name, amen. My name is Ryan. Uh, Ryan Alenius. I am one of our parish elders, also on staff uh, as our care guy. Um, so it's, it's good to be able to be in the pulpit uh, for today. Again, as you might have heard in our prayers of the people, Brian is up in, I think he's in Seattle now. Uh, he's in Seattle uh, doing some time studying for the fall. So uh, the last few weeks, we have been focused on particular roles, uh, particular roles of both fathers and mothers with their sons, and now we're turning to something that I would say is more of a muscle. It's more of a muscle that needs to be worked out in all of life, and that muscle is discipline. So what, what does it mean to be a disciplined people? To be a people who exercise discipline. The trouble we're gonna face in how we posture discipline this morning is that we could very easily approach this with our 21st century lens that's looking at how do I experience the betterment of myself or just my personal projects. Like the parable of the sower, we might give those disciplines a strong college try. And because our motivation was based on ourselves, uh, the sprout withers and dies. We experience this and see it in the city that surrounds us. Um, We see it through general self-help. I'm going to try out this new diet that takes away all the pleasures of life. um, Or this new cutting-edge gym um, that... It's like orange in the room, and that helps you sweat better or something. I don't know anything about that place. Um, Jordan Peterson says living a life of order starts with making your bed in the morning. And while wise discipline certainly does lead us to make our beds in the morning, that's not the foundation on which we need to start. Um, another version of this that we might experience apart from the foundation of God in um, his word is chalking up discipline to personality. Uh, There are some people who are just born to be disciplined, but I am not. You are. uh, You are meant to live a disciplined life. Uh, I will rebut that further. And then third, um, in the church, we might beat the dull drum of spiritual disciplines. I just need to do this thing that I'm told to do, uh, either because it's my own good works to prove I'm a Christian, or, uh, so I feel better at the start of my day. Those are important. That is an important practice. It's not the reason that we do it. So my prayer for this morning is that we would be able to reimagine what it means to be a disciplined people. That would be something we believe is for all of us and for the good of our city. So I'll just pose that question to you. As we start today, what do you believe about engaging a disciplined life? Does it seem like drudgery to you? Does it uh, confirm your own good works? Our challenge uh, is that we have to pursue discipline wisely. That means there's a way to not do it wisely. Um, So reimagine with me by the means of John Calvin. Uh, I'm reading through John Calvin's Institutes this summer, uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion. It's a very pastoral read. Um, I highly recommend it. In his institutes, he critiques an understanding of the Christian life that would lead one out into the desert in order to deprive themselves of life's pleasures. Uh, People would go out there so that they could, out to the desert, so they could focus on the spiritual disciplines, so that I could pray with my life, uh, read the scriptures fast. Monasticism was an escape from the world. What Calvin was after was not the complete bulldozing of a monastic life, but doing so locally, living out that same commitment and passion for God within the city we find ourselves in. Um, He called this, uh, I believe this is the Latin, paideia, um, formative education, life of piety. So the church, our church needs to open our eyes to see the fact that Their role in society was formation. It it has always been formation. And that's not something that we go and do out in the desert. We are right now sitting in the middle of our city. This is uh, formation for our desert city. Um, This city is a desert, and it needs the irrigation of the Spirit. And so we live out the disciplines to irrigate this city. As disciples of Jesus, when committed to a disciplined life, we're committed to an alternate vision of society itself. And our concern for being disciplined in prayer, in reading our Bibles, in gathering with the saints for worship, in forming our kids, in friendships, in our work, uh, it's all because of a belief that this world and the time we spend in it is deeply meaningful, that it deeply matters. So these disciplines... Uh, are a means by which we bring uh, more of all creation to glorify God. So marvel with me just for a moment about this. Uh, God chose to use his church, his disciples, to reach the ends of the world. And he did this in such a way that would remake everything in the world. Somehow, discipline strongly relates to that. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So, how does being disciplined get us there? So, the muscle relates to everything muscle of discipline. And there are right ways to commit to spending. Um, it, it means that there are right ways, right ways to commit to spending time with God, communing with God, to how we parent our children. Um, and it also, there, it, there are one, I should just say, for a moment, there are a thousand ways uh, that we as parents, our instructions are teaching our children discipline right now. And that would be um, to the end of rebuilding even the way we wake up, the way we go to bed. Kate and I were talking about this this week, uh, my wife, uh, just how even in raising children right now. We have three children, three and under, and for all of them, we have to teach them. We have to teach them discipline on when they need to be asleep, on what they need to eat, um, on going to the bathroom, uh, everything. Like, there are a thousand ways you need to discipline your children. It's not just don't do that. Um, We're teaching our children discipline and everything. And we... We need to, uh, we'll get more into those things with parenting. But first, as we approach the rest of this, I think it's going to be helpful to, to, when I've knocked down, this isn't a disciplined life, we we need a positive version of that. So what is the definition we're going after here? Um, A disciplined life, I'm going to say this a couple times. A disciplined life at the heart has experienced God's unyielding grace and out of gratitude Has vision and plans that shape our daily actions. So, a disciplined life at the heart has experienced God's unyielding grace, and out of gratitude, has vision and plans that shape our daily actions. So, the first part of that I want to dissect is that a wise, disciplined life comes out of gratitude to God. Gratitude has to be the very foundation for how we order all of our lives. The book of Proverbs is just repeatedly gives us depictions and clear contrasts of the difference between a life that is based on that foundation and one that's not, one that's based anywhere else. So let's look at today's text um, to see this further. First, so if you've closed your Bible, open it back up. Proverbs twenty nine. I'm going to read verse eighteen. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. So what does that mean? I, I think that the KJV translates this a little bit better. The first part, verse 18a, says, where there is no vision, the people perish. One other commentator puts it this way. He says, where... The people run wild. So without a vision, people run wild. And what this verse tells us is that there's a difference between living a a disciplined life within a moral order, within God's moral order, and one outside of that moral order. One that runs wild. So the difference between a people that gratefully orders their lives around their creator... And then there are people who do not. There are people with ingratitude in their lives. So what do lives of ingratitude look like? What does a life that runs wild look like? We see that a lot in this passage. Look with me first in, um, actually right before the section we read, Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So there are two types of people in this world. So Solomon, they're those who bring shame to their mama and those who make them proud. So when children are left to their own folly, they run wild. They don't have parents that give them the rod of reproof, or they don't allow wisdom to shape their decisions. An implication is then that these children don't know how to order their lives around God, around his ways. See also with me in verses 22 to 24. I'm going to read through these and and mention them in brief. Uh, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse but discloses nothing. So we have angry men, we have men of pride, and we have those who partner with thieves who are all living in chaos, They lack moral order and actually find themselves hungering to multiply their wrongdoing. Okay, so made in the image of God, we were made to commit ourselves to building things in this world. But in Adam, all of our attempts to do good in the world were so corrupted that it made us incapable of pleasing God. Uh, This can be likened to attempting with our lives Say, a disciplined life to building a sandcastle just below, just beyond a low tide. It's just not very fruitful. Uh, attempts to use our strength to live an ordered, principled life based on what I might suspect is good order means a life of anarchy. Uh, it's a life that will not hold up. But... Back to verse 18. But blessed is he who keeps the law. Notice the difference here. Those who, who don't have vision didn't get that by their own accord. It, it's a subordinate reason. They, they, do it, they get vision by sub, being subordinate to God's ways, by being subordinate to his laws. So you see... Um, when we are when we have uh when we do keep the law, we expect what perversions there are in humanity, we expect what perversions there are in ourselves, and we have a category to then need to order our lives by what God says, need to pl- put those in place, need to confess our sins that this morning um, to that order. So elaborating on that, that means taking those things to prayer. It means reading what God says and actually taking him for his word. It means coming to worship on Sunday mornings and believing that this is formative for all of our lives. It means that we actually believe we need to go to our parishes, to one another, and ask for counsel on how to live out God's laws in all of life. So, Maybe in brief, just to give us another angle on on this life. Verse 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The Christian life is one marked by humbling ourselves before what God says. So we always approach God's word believing that our thoughts are lowly and that I should prize his words. I should think of his thoughts more highly than my own. This is still on living lives of gratitude, and that's where we come to Christ. Christ, being the only one who has kept the law, is blessed. He delighted to live the way that his father made things to be. And when we are united with Christ, church, when we are united with Christ as sons and daughters, we understand how this world is ordered. Hearing God's voice, we can then express lives of discipline envisioning practices that keep his law. What are those practices? I'm just going to rattle off a few here. Uh, Couples who know that God uh, that for God to continue to hold their bond of marriage together they need to take regular time of having dates with their spouse. Of being in the word with their spouse. They need, uh, second we need to uh, educate our children Christianly. Third, for, for our church to collectively have a vision of delighting to be disciples of Jesus, it begs us to be accountable to one another. It begs us to hunger to help one another grow in discipline, in being people who read God's word, who, who love to talk about it together. It extends to our employers. If you're, you're, you, we can't just be happy being an okay accountant or an okay barista. We find the areas in which we're weakest and we say, I, I especially need to be disciplined there. I especially need to, for the sake of God's kingdom in this world, need to grow in that thing. So one, uh, one insight, just as I wrap up this first section on ingratitude, that has been just especially helpful to me in a gift uh, in my preparation for the, to this morning, has been that dis- disciplining our children is not that far removed from what it means to live disciplined lives. Um, further, that disciplining our sons and daughters is actually reflective of how God the Father shapes us. Some of the best wisdom I've received from others is to always work to bring our kids back into fellowship. So when we need to tell them a hard thing, we need to discipline them, we always want them to come back into fellowship with us. And when we discipline our kids, they know there's, there's already a relationship there to where they want to come back to us. How much more is this true when we receive discipline from God? God, when we are veering off into destruction as those made in his image but corrupted he called us back into fellowship with him. And even after we sinned against him in the most egregious ways, he didn't just bring us back into his house as slaves, but as sons and daughters. And so what kind of life does that rise up out of our own hearts, out of our own households? As his sons and daughters, we should want nothing more but to please our Father, to shape our lives around that. And so... Um, God, in his grace, he does discipline us. Uh, his hand is over our lives and he disciplines us so that we would delight to do what he says. So I'm not just referring, um, I am referring to the ways he corrects us in our sin, and I'm also referring to the opportunities he places in my life that, that I may not want. But he says, no, this is, this is something that's on your plate and that you need to Um, Irrigate. Okay, so this is where discipline starts. It starts with gratitude to God. God. And discipline also, continuing on uh, to get everything we can out of verse 18, um, discipline inspires, I'm sorry, purpose should inspire a disciplined life. It should give us vision vision for a disciplined life so it runs across our minds as a marvelous idea that we would turn our hearts to God from these deserts of unbelief that we once were into flourishing gardens but when God takes hold of our lives when the father sees you as his own son his spirit requires things of you that are going to be painful uh things that I may not have suspected he would have wanted. He does claim them as his own and he reveals patterns of sin uh, that can no longer stay. He declares that we must be disciplined so that we would rid pornography out of our lives, so it would rid hasty words out of our lives. We can no longer overindulge in good gifts like alcohol or food. He reorders our hearts so that we would be filled with meditations on His word rather than running wild with rampant desires. So, if our lives are not shaped by God, by trusting in the Lord, they will chase after this world or they will chase after man. Verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. This is a warning about the snare of fearing man, of, this is actual, when you fear man, you actually orient your life. You discipline your life around what others think of you. He reshapes that. Another way this plays out is in our anger. Verse 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. This is, this is a desire that he will no longer let live in our hearts if he is going to live there. So we need vision. When, when he's removing these different things, it's because we know they can no longer exist in what kingdom work he has our lives doing. And so what are our practices becoming instead? God emphasizes discipline in His Word. Uh, we can mistake it for drudgery, but He's building something more wonderful. Turning to our New Testament passage, First Corinthians nine, uh, I'm just going to reference it in brief here. We're living lives that, on our own accord, are not there's there's not self control. We say one thing, and our lives do another but we must exercise self-control if we want to obtain this imperishable wreath that Paul describes. And we need to do it with fear and trembling. So we discipline our bodies because we believe it's not an aimless endeavor, but it's a product of becoming better boys, girls, men and women. So if today you are resistant to the necessity of self-control, to disciplining your life you're in danger of a aimless life. Okay. That's established. So you might say, yes, I need self-control. But you, we still haven't talked about what that vision is. Um, let me share for a moment just briefly, maybe a personal example to help draw this out a little further. Um, we, we live our lives to glorify God. Um, Kate and, my, Kate and my wife and I, uh, we went to a counselor a number of years ago. This is uh, just the start of our marriage. And I was figuring out some things with career trajectory, and uh, this wise counselor saw a need to convict us of having vision. And when asked what we wanted our lives to be about, I said, "I think I want it to be about glorifying God." Just true. But I'm very thankful that he challenged me on that. Not because glorifying God um, isn't what life is about, but because that vision doesn't help us as the Eleniuses. It doesn't help our family come back to particular... um, It doesn't give teeth to particular principles for times where we're at odds about decisions we need to make as a family. So, that's true, and under... that glorifying God, when we thought about it more deeply, what we realized was we needed our lives um, to be about something more tangible under that umbrella. So we, as we prayed through it, said, okay, our lives are about being a hospitable people that encourages others to live their lives more Christianly. Okay, so there's now something that both informs why prayer is important for our family. Why reading the word every morning is an important practice uh, that teaches our children that as they're growing up. Why these things are important for what it is we're doing with our whole life. Um, Hospitable practices as as a family. So developing individual and household visions like this can help us to move from drudgery in these disciplines to something much more and that much more is what God grants us in being able to move um, into not drudgery, but instead inspiration. So, practices of discipline, when they might have once been something there where we're paddling in a boat, going against the wind, feels like all odds are against me in this Bible reading challenge I'm doing uh, it can become something totally different. If I find a way to actually see how keeping God's law in my own life should have effects on how I start my morning, God's Spirit, what He does there, He's he's bringing these practices of discipline to be from paddling that boat against the wind into being a sailboat who is drawn somewhere by the wind, who is inspired by the wind. So may God grant us to be a people who are disciplined, um, whose disciplines are inspired by Him, who are inspired by a life that He would want us to live. If you don't know what that is for you personally, if, as you are forming those disciplines in your life in the particular ways that God might cause you to wisely grow in disciplines right now, like, ask God for help and put pencil to paper find ways to, um, to evaluate what those disciplines need to become and I've mentioned now a few features to uh, facing new, uh, new endeavors of discipline taking on new disciplines bringing reform to our own lives so what are a few features of that disciplined life under God? Take note of these things in relation to whatever might have just come to your mind. It's things I need to grow in, our family, our church might need to grow in. And let us bring reform like the good kings of Judah, like Josiah, like Hezekiah, who, saw, who found the book of the law and said, oh, We've been living in sin. We need to reform our lives and live in this way. So what are those ways? Look at these features with me. So discipline sacrifices things first. Um, Sacrifices first things on the outskirts rather than core responsibilities. I'm going to reference Bible character to help us imagine what this looks like for each of these. So King David, even after being promised that he would have an eternal throne did not try to enforce his own throne, but trusted God when he was being pursued by Saul. So he first held on to his communion with God when his own life was at stake. Church, don't neglect disciplines of your own soul for your own marriage, for your kids, your wife, um, for the sake of disciplines around this extracurricular thing uh, you would like to do or for your work. Those also need to be worked out. But first, be sure to attend to the core disciplines. Second, discipline involves time management, like Noah. He built an ark knowing what would be required. And when the storm came, that ark did not sink. So, we only have so much time, and that is a feature of our life rather than a bug. Verse 20 says, Do you see a man that is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Read that. In part, you can read that as, Do you see a man that is hasty to make long lists of all the disciplines that you know you need to start? Um, Parents, if you're now committed to seven new disciplines that you're going to do for your family's regiment uh, after this morning, start with one or two, make lists and prioritize one or two and then commit to mastery in those things. The Christian life, um, in a Christian life, which is time-managed, uh, united to Christ, it's, it's never staying stagnant. So there's always more work to be done and we have to know where, where's the most important. If it's a negative thing, it needs to be uh, prevented. If it's a leak in the boat, How do we patch that? Or if it's a positive thing, where we want to go, pray that God would bless that and get to work. Um, I've spoken a lot about disciplines not being something that's just for the individual. So it seems... Oh, you know what? I skipped over a whole thing right there. Just wondering why this weird jump just happened. Well, it's going to be awkward, but here's the pivot. Um... (laughs) Okay, I missed a discipline there. Uh, So third, we we talked about discipline as time management, talked about discipline as uh, first prioritizing core things rather than things on the outskirts. Third, uh, discipline takes planning, action, and often includes other people. We were recently in uh, the book of Nehemiah in the not-so-distant past. So be like Nehemiah. Know the cost. I decide I'm going to do Bible reading. I'm, I'm really going to double down on that being a core thing in my mornings again. Know the cost of needing to go be- to bed on time, whatever that on time is, to get eight hours of sleep, and then wake up earlier. Um, know what resources are involved. If a new discipline um, you're taking on uh, affects other people, Talk to them about that. Say, we're, we are committed to doing this together. Uh, husbands, like ask your wife for help on how to get there so that it can be a realistic plan with tangible actions. Um, so who else is involved and what skills do they bring? That's what we just spoke about there. And then what is going to get in the way? Know those things and be able to speak to how you're going to overcome those obstacles. Last, discipline takes grit. The Apostle Paul faced a lot of curveballs in his ministry, prison, shipwrecks, uh, and he learned perseverance. He had to learn um, when, things, when times were tough, how am I going to be flexible with this? Another way we could put this um, in discipline taking grit I'm a runner. Cycle sometimes. When you start to feel the lactic acid, all you want to do is you want to stop. I just need to stop running so hard and stop cycling so hard. But that's actually the time when you're growing the most. So don't stop. Like, push through the lactic acid when you are experiencing this morning that I really feel so tired. Um, Because the good news is a discipline might be shaping in you at that point. God might be doing something there. Um, And then, fail well. Be corrected well. Uh, If you fail, don't just decide, okay, it's over. Find new strategies. Uh, Find another way to approach it. Because something about it either wasn't working, or might need to reimagine it. Okay. So those are a few key ways that we can work on new disciplines, and now... Let's close. Uh, Out of gratitude to God, we have talked about shaping disciplines with vision and plans in our lives. We've talked about deeper investments in our relationships. Like this, all that stuff relates to relationships. It relates to the excellence of our work. So constantly remember why we're doing those things. Have the why in front of you so that we would be a church who's inspired, inspired to do what God says and to continue to be shaped by these practices. There will be times when the work seems insurmountable in our lives and remember that Jesus gave the same wages to the workers who came late in the day as to those who started the work at the end of the day. It's never too late to begin. Jesus was talking there about a salvific matter, but it relates here also to a matter of our disciplines. Um, All these things I've never done in my life, begin. Simply begin. On to my last page. This might sound slightly redundant in some moment. Um, But here's here's where we're going to end. One, in that I've kind of emphasized discipline not just being something for the individual, as, as something that we should be reimagining as a church together. I have one plug um, that I'd like to draw our attention to. Maybe one of the projects you, your family or you as an individual consider as a summer. Um, this fall, we are a church who desires to pray together. And this fall, uh, we're going to kickstart off again uh, some Wednesday morning prayers. Uh, this last spring, we prayed once a week together, and a legislator representative of Colorado was here just to inform us of particular things to pray for. Um, church, like, what would what could God do if we were a people who came together this fall and we prayed together? Um, early in the morning, I don't have exact details right now, but early in the morning, come together and we pray for the city um, for the politics of the city, for people who need to be saved and repent of their sins, um, for people in our church. So I would implore you, consider taking on that discipline this fall. And and last, where I'd like for us to end is in the discipline of rest. In In all the work we do, Surely comes from grace. uh, It seems sufficient to us that we would end on the discipline of rest. So church, this table down before me, um, it represents the sacraments that call us back to resting in God. God did not change yesterday, will not change today, and he will remain the same forever. So remember that reality that should cause us to delight, to delight in the order that God has given to things around us to tomorrow, and that it is for all eternity. For those here this morning who might not know Jesus, um, really glad you're here. And your toil will make you weary. Continued attempts to make your life good enough, um, they will never satisfy, and will one day lead to being faced with God's wrath. But if you want your life to be ordered by practices under God, I'd love to talk to you after about getting baptized. Um, when we come to this table and we confess our sins, Jesus gives us rest. There will be more work Monday morning. There will be disciplines that we need to get inspired to do. And Jesus himself said that he would give us a burden. He said the burden was light, but he would give us a burden. But he gives us rest from anxious toiling because he perfectly represents us before the Father. And we see that in the water of baptism. Remember that God has washed you. He loves you and has claimed you as his own. We see this in the bread and the wine. And this reflects the table that we all are able to sit at and feast with the Father. Verse 26 should bring us to tears of joy in closing. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Because Christ on the cross received the wrath of God, in Him we do not have to, and we're reminded of that in the bread and the wine this morning, so that we might live lives of gratitude. Do you join me with me in prayer? God, would your spirit fill us that um, this morning's sermon on your word would not come back void, Uh, that we would desire to live lives more fully in accordance with what it is you say about living practices out in our lives um, and doing them in such a way that is inspired by your spirit that it is, Um, not doing it out of drudgery, uh, and that is irrigating the city, Uh, that all people would come to repentance and faith, to know you, to sing of the wonders of your ways. In your name, amen.